This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies and rational minds and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We're in the middle of our Never Seen series. In this series, we're considering the way that movies are capturing and influencing our cultural narratives. And so for each episode, we'll, we're watching a popular film that either one of us or both of us haven't ever seen. And then we watch them and we come here and we hash it all out in conversation. Now, we've already discussed two films, uh, Casablanca and Mean Girls. And today we have another installment. It'll be so much fun because we have a friend joining us. And that always makes it better, right, Hannah, when we have more people joining in? It does. And remember, we've talked about this before, that the best thing about having podcast guests is that you don't have to clean your house. So true. It's like, just come on over. I love having guests (laughs) on Persuasion. I mean, I love having guests in real life, too, but this is much easier. Well, for today's episode, we have our friend Gina Delfonso. She is a Christ and Pop Culture staff writer. She's the author of One by One, Welcoming Singles in Your Church. Her work has been published in The Atlantic and Christianity Today, as well as many other outlets. And she's been on Persuasion before. So Gina, thanks so much for joining us again today. We're glad you're here. Thanks so much for having me again. We wanted to bring you on as part of the team because we know that you have great interest in classic films and musicals. And so we just want to bring all of that wisdom to bear right here in this conversation. I'd love to know a little bit before we get started, what is it about classics and musicals that so take your heart? Oh, gosh, I've been into them for... So many years now, since, since I was, I don't know, I guess a preteen, uh, I just, um, I got into them when I was a kid because it, part of it was just practical. I mean, there, my, my parents would only let us watch, you know, certain kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, classic movies were among those movies. And I, you know, there were channels on TV sometimes where you could, you could, find them uh there were like vhs tapes at the library Mm -hmm. Uh, people would give them to you and so i started to get into them and then i started to get deeper and deeper into them and i just discovered that there was so much good stuff there uh there's just a whole world of of classic movies of which for me musicals are a very significant part uh just so many so many great stories being told there uh so many 
wonderful performances, so much creativity and just fun going on. And uh, so I've been a, a devotee ever since. Yeah, and I want to make this pitch for our listeners that if you don't follow Gina Mm -hmm. on social media, um, you should definitely follow her on Twitter, if only for her TMC (laughs) threads. I love watching her talk about um, all these old stars and seeing them in movies as if she mm-hmm. knows them and they're friends. And I, Gina, I just love following uh, along. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Trying to catch up on my knowledge, on my own knowledge of uh, this whole world that um, I'm aware of and I know exists, but I really don't know much about. Um, so everybody go follow Gina on Twitter too, so she can tell you, she can be our guide <laughs> yes. through classic movies and especially musicals. And, and that's really why... Aaron and I were talking about the movies we would want to see during this series, and I came up with um, Singing in the Rain. And as soon as we agreed that I hadn't seen it, Aaron hadn't seen it, immediately I said, oh, we've got to get Gina <laughs> yes. on. She has got to guide us through Help this us, Gina. movie. Well, that turned out to be really fortuitous because it happens to be my favorite movie. And uh, so oh. it's basically a match made in heaven here. <laughs> How many times do you think you've seen this movie? I could not count them. I mean, Really? First, it's one of those. It's one of those. The first time I think I was 12. And uh, so I have just been watching it. I I, I like to rewatch things. Mm -hmm. And so I, there have been many, many, many viewings since I was 12. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, Gina, we would love for you to give us a synopsis because there could be plenty of other listeners out there like us who had never seen it. And because you've watched it so much and because you you love it, you probably know this movie inside and out. Would, would you go ahead and give us a recap, a little synopsis of the film? Sure. Uh, it's a story of Hollywood in the late 1920s. Uh, which is when silent films were giving way to talking films. And so if you know your Hollywood history at all, this was kind of a time of great turmoil in Hollywood because uh, a lot of actors who had never had to deal with talking (laughs) in front of people (laughs) were suddenly having to deal with it. And so Singing in the Rain takes that period and sort of gives us a little cheeky take on it. They, They have... Uh, Gene Kelly and Gene Hagen play this pair of movie stars who have done all these silent films together. But the problem is that she has a terrible voice. Um, <laughs> Gene Hagen really went to town with this role and she's wonderful in it. And it's fantastic. That was one of my favorite parts. And, and in addition to that, she's, she's kind of a horrible person as well. <laughs> and so, well, um, while they are trying to figure out what to do about about this um her co-star gene kelly and his girlfriend debbie reynolds and his best friend donald o'connor they're sort of this little trio that's at the heart of the film and they are figuring out how to do something new with movies and how to make this movie musical where they can use debbie reynolds voice and 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 they're basically they're just they're just um they're, they're trying to take what has always worked before and like try to salvage it and create something new that that they can enter this new era. And at the same time, there's just like a lot of song and dance numbers. There's just a lot of joking around. There's just a lot of having a really good time. So that's basically what the, what the movie is. One of the things that struck me as I was watching it for the first time was this um, juxtaposition of the storyline of moving from the talkies to 
uh, from from the silent film to the, the talkies. And one thing that was interesting to me was it wasn't just the musical numbers that kind of gave life to that storyline, but it was mm-hmm. also the dance because it's a lot of tap. And so there's a lot of sound associated with the dancing itself that's in these musical numbers. And so I'm watching it and, and I have this experience of the very choreography and the music giving a punch to mm-hmm. you are hearing this. You know, it almost undergirded the whole um, storytelling of moving from these silent films to films that were so full of sound and not just the sound of dialogue, but the sound of music and the sound of dancing, which you don't always associate mm-hmm. with more modern dance. Um, you don't associate mm-hmm. the click of the heels as part of the rhythm and the sound that you're experiencing when you're watching the dancing. So I found that to be beautiful and brilliant and and really added depth to a musical that on the surface you'd think, oh, it's fun and light, but it, it that's, was That's a layered. great point. Yeah. And and yeah, there are all kinds of layers to it. And um, yeah, the dancing just adds so much. If this were told as a non-musical story, I mean, I think it would still be light and and funny but uh just the musical aspects just add so much it it uh and and as you say it, it sort of undermine uh, underlines the point about um the the shift to sound because they're they're using sound in, in the dancing and in all these creative ways i really enjoyed all of the the dance numbers and i was surprised by how many there were mm-hmm. um i'm not super familiar with musicals just some of the more current ones and i was surprised that very often they were breaking out in dance along with the song because the joke of musical is like oh all of a sudden everybody's singing like this is so strange this doesn't happen in regular life but then to pair the dancing with it i loved that and there it I think their form of dance, um, along with their entire countenance, their expression, it's like everything about it was just so bright and joyful. And it seemed like they loved doing what they were doing. And I realized they could have been acting that part of it. (laughs) Maybe they weren't enjoying what they were doing, but they were really um, providing us this experience of look at them enjoying this the scene, this part mm-hmm. of this story. And it felt like they were welcoming you as the viewer into that joy. I really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. I feel that way too. The 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 impression I came away with the first time I saw it was just this is the happiest movie I have ever <laughs> seen. And I I um I I mean I still feel that way. It's just mm-hmm. a very happy movie. And these people were just, I mean incredibly hard workers incredible professionals. I mean, you movie musicals, you always hear stories from behind the scenes of how hard these people worked. I mean, Donald O'Connor was hospitalized for exhaustion. Uh, Debbie Reynolds felt like she was going to die of exhaustion. (laughs) It's unreal. I mean, they worked so hard. And and even back before that, Ginger Rogers, her feet used to bleed when she was rehearsing with Fred Astaire. Mm -hmm. So these people, I mean, they put their heart and soul and entire body into everything they did. And the way that they were able to to look so happy at the same time is just a, <laughs> a tremendous testament to their skill and to to their professionalism. It was very, very joy filled. And I think again, even the 
title and the title song of Singing in the Rain kind of gives you that whole package of this was not necessarily a denial of problems, but this was a space mm-hmm. where you could be happy. This was not intended to um, you know, make any large statements on life, but it was mm-hmm. intended to make you happy and to be able to have that deep-seated joy. And so I found that really fascinating, especially um, I think it was made in the nineteen mm-hmm. early 1950s. Um, and so you have this generation that, that, you know, eight years earlier had just come out of the war and they're getting resettled and they're trying to move into a place of prosperity and, and settledness after these really difficult things that had happened in the 30s and 40s. Um, and so that was curious to me, like there was this real period of needing to be happy you know again after really really hard things and I see I think you see that even in some of the other musicals that came out of that time um where it was an attempt at joy that was a really worthwhile you know it was a really worthwhile thing to give people yeah I I agree and um yeah I I think um Gene Kelly in particular was, was very, very good at this in his movies and just sort of like spreading, spreading a little bit of, you know, happiness and and Mm -hmm. just, uh, and just, um, giving people that, that gift for, you know, the couple of hours, however long they were, they were watching the movie. And, um, and yeah, I think, I mean, there are all kinds of musicals and, and, um, all kinds of emotions they try to express, but but like you say, we do we do associate joy with a lot of the older film musicals because that was sort of their their provenance. That was what mm-hmm. they did, and and at their best, they did it so incredibly well <laughs> that it, it it's still a gift to us today when when we sit down to watch them, whatever circumstance. It really is. There's something um, that there's something kind mm-hmm. of faithful about them. Like, you know what they're going to deliver and they do it and they don't mess with you. Um, And I find that I don't watch a whole lot of musicals, but not because I don't want to. I I did earlier in my life. Um, But when I want something that is predictable and I know what I'm getting and I know the feelings that I'm going to walk away with, I do have these go-to old Hollywood classic musicals that can give me that moment of mm-hmm. I don't say escape, but just space. True. You know, the space to be happy, the mm-hmm. space to. I have wonder joy. if that's why this movie does seem so rewatchable. That was one of the things we wanted to talk about in this series. Is is this movie? Although so many people have seen it, is it something you'd watch again and again? And we know Gina, you've watched it again and again. <laughs> I think I would watch it again. I really, I feel like, oh, I want to watch that again and, and see it unfold in a different way. Um, I, I think there is like you said Hannah that predictability I I think it's predictable and yet I'm like oh I want to see now that I know this about where the film is going I want to backtrack and watch it mm-hmm. with, with that knowledge in mind so um I I think that it is rewatchable um it is a movie that is one of the movies that they say people should watch, you know, on those must-see lists. And so this is one of those top ones. Gina, from what you know about Gene Kelly's movies, is this the one that he's most known for in terms of, yes, you should watch this one of his? 
Yes, definitely. Um, it, it's it's considered the pinnacle of his movies, oh, and it's kind of, wow. it's kind of it's funny because uh, he had made an American in Paris the year before, and that one won all the Oscars, and oh. Singing in the Rain won none. So that just goes to show you like how dependable the Oscars are. <laughs> I mean, an American in Paris is a great uh-huh. movie, but but Singing in the Rain is even greater in in uh, I think a lot of people's estimations. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is definitely I think his best known and and the one where he was really at the top of his game and and uh, the one movie of his if you were only going to pick one movie the one movie of his that that everyone should see. One thing that I wanted to ask you about Gina and kind of bring up because we also are talking about things that not just hold up movies that hold up and can be re-seen um but things that have shifted or the things that uh catch our eye that maybe wouldn't have caught initial viewers eyes things that don't translate or things that we now would kind of in our culture kind of cringe at and in our first um episode of this series we talked with Alyssa about a lot of how movies don't just tell you about a certain time period they tell you about the people Mm -hmm. who are producing them you know the the male Hollywood elite (laughs) producing movies it's more maybe reflective of their um, perspectives. And I did see some of that kind of sexism and gender stereotyping perhaps in the movie toward women. Um, you know, even the age disparity between the younger uh, love interests and the older man. But the thing that really caught my attention about this movie that I thought was so profoundly different than where we are as a culture now was the dancing itself. Um, I loved it. I thought it was so athletic. Um, it was, it required such skill, um, such strength, but I couldn't get away from the fact that I would not see a white male lead actor dancing his way across the screen now. Um, and even though we had like La La Land, you know, where you have these moments where yes, that's allowable for that. But we don't we we don't have actors, at least in my knowledge, that are building their careers in these same ways as kind of the you know singing dancing mm-hmm. actor. Um, and and I was wondering if you've seen a shift even in that, like where um, there's a different view of masculinity or machismo, where the, the kind of screen heartthrob of the fifties. Would yeah. never. Make well, that, that's it a fascinating question because if if you read up on Gene Kelly a, lo- a little bit, um, he was very consciously going for sort of like a masculine image in his dancing and his movies because when he was a, a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, you know, he used to get beat up by the other boys for going to dance class, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, he wanted to show that you could be manly and still be a dancer. And so he, he was very consciously trying to do that. But you, you do like, okay, like you say, when you shift to now, it's like, it seems like the way to get gravitas as a male lead is to do action movies mm-hmm. and not dancing. And, and the, the, the men that do sing and dance, it's like, okay, we'll let them do that. But then they really need to do an action movie to prove it. Uh, like you, you take Hugh Jackman, who is very passionate about his musical career and has done stage musicals. and But it was only after he established himself, I think, as Wolverine. And then he wanted to be in Les Miserables. Yes, and they're like, Wolverine. okay, we'll let him be a musical star for a while. <laughs> since, he, since he did the, the obligatory action 
action roles. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's got to balance out. Hilarious. You got to have both roles. <laughs> Sorry. It's like you got to balance it out. He has to have both types of roles to make sure it's all in in check. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So yeah, it, it seems like. I mean, it, it seems like in some ways nothing has changed at all since Gene Kelly was a little boy and the other kids were beating him up. <laughs> it just, <laughs> it's like that underlying attitude, maybe it shifts a little bit, maybe it, it manifests itself in different ways, but it's still sort of hanging around in one form or another. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I wanted to make sure that we talked about was how this film it it does just exude this happiness and this um, this sense of joy and lightness, and I was curious as I was watching the movie. I was like, could this movie be made today, and would it be well received? Because it's just so happy, and mm-hmm. you don't see movies like that made today that are just so positive and. Um, I I was thinking about some of the things that I've read with my work about how there are arguments for for looking at sad or tragic stories so that we can understand the depth of pain. And C.S. Lewis has talked about that, too, about how that brings you out of your own small world and into the greater issues of life and suffering. But I wondered if there's still some benefit for us in looking at happy and joyful themes, almost like it's it's easier for us to embrace the sad part, but to go to joy, that feels like it's pushing back against our cynicism and our and how we're jaded today. And it's almost like it's riskier to embrace that that joy, that that bigness and and to let your heart embrace that. I was curious, Gina, if you've seen that difference between the musicals, let's say, of the 1950s versus films today. What do we do with that? Yeah, um, the, absolutely. I, I, uh, I think, of course, we have to have the happy stuff, too, for balance. We just have to. If we, we, we need to be willing to look at the suffering of the world, but if we look at nothing else... Um, we, I don't think we were built for that. We, we would, we would go out of our minds. We wouldn't be able to take it. So we, we have to have the happy things too. And I think that was one thing that, um, maybe performers and writers at one time intuitively understood. And, um, you know, maybe not as much anymore. Now, Now, um, Sometimes, though, you, you see a movie do well that, that does try to embrace the joy. Uh, Aaron, you and I have talked a bit about La La Land. And, oh, yeah. You know, we got to talk about that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm sure you caught a lot of, of things in, in Singing in the Rain. It's like, oh, OK, that's where that comes from. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> but, but yeah, but they they sort of I mean, they they had there were some hard things in there. You know, but the whole thing is about people who are just struggling and knocking themselves out to have a life in performing. And yet um, they managed to capture, I think the the reason that people love to perform and the reason that they keep doing it. And, and there is joy in the performing, even when there's also pain. And so I think that's one good thing that, that uh, La La Land took from singing in the rain and, and other classic musicals. And so I think, I think we haven't forgotten those things. We haven't mm-hmm. forgotten our need for joy. Sometimes it, it does get a little obscured, but um, I, I think deep down we still recognize it and 
we're willing to to uh, if a movie comes along like that, we're willing to say, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this does work. <laughs> this does uh, this is bringing me a lot of a lot of happiness. It's almost like La La Land is as close as we could get to singing in the rain for today. Like we just we had to have that ending where it was kind of like, oh, that's that didn't end quite as I thought it should. (laughs) It's like, let's make this for our current modern hearts that are a little bit more cynical. And so it seemed like a a better fit for us or something like we couldn't handle the all out happiness of singing in the rain today. Well, yeah, you've got a point. Um, <laughs> well, one one thing that I love so much about singing in the rain is that um, it just it, it makes you believe that um, you know someone could have love and friendship and a satisfying career and all those things. Yeah. And you could have them. You could balance them. You could make them work. That you could have you could have happiness with them. So that is that is sort of. Um, that's what singing in the rain tells us and and la la land sort of goes a little bit in the direction of you know sometimes these things get out of balance and and one thing works while something else doesn't so i I think there's truth in both of them but Mm -hmm. i admit yes i do gravitate more towards the happy ending and towards (laughs) the music and and the hope that yeah sometimes everything just works And, and sometimes we see the value of everything in, in our lives, the friendship and the work and, and just all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's there for us and we can make it work. So yeah, I, I think you need to hear different messages and different stories and, and just have maybe hope that sure. something like that could be true. Well, Gina, another thing that I really loved about this film that was so positive was that um, Don's, Gene Kelly, Don's friends, Kathy and Cosmo, they really grounded him and it it showed that that value of friendship. And it's almost like they were pulling him back from the edge of that that shallow celebrity. And I loved how they they kind of rallied around him and stuck with him even as he was growing as a character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like I like that, too, that that. that these people that that they're these characters are there for each other like you say Kathy and Cosmo are both there for Don and then also um when Kathy's career gets threatened Don Don is like okay we're not going to have this so so they they find ways to be there for each other and and that's that's really a, a lovely thing and 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 it gives you sort of like it a depth of character that like even and I'm, I'm not saying they go deep, deep into characterizations like, like um, a drama would, but, but just these little things where they're there for each other, where they, they're, they're genuinely fond of each other, where, where they, um, they rally around and support each other. These, these little things just give you like, um, give you glimpses of character that that are just really sweet and and that you just really enjoy and and there's a a larger theme too i think where um and and you touched on this where it's like um the a whole theme of the movie is sort of like stripping away the artifice to get to, to to sort of get at the truth you know at the beginning of the movie um don and lena are supposed to have this big romance which is all fake and it's just you know it's just something for they do for the tabloids and um and like that they're supposed to be like all glamorous and and all and lena's supposed to be this great goddess and in reality she's just this awful person (laughs) and and um 
who is who is like mean to to the little guys around her and stuff and and so as the movie goes on just like all these things get stripped away like like um don doesn't want to be a swashbuckling hero anymore he wants to be a a, a hoofer you know a guy who sings and dances and he wants to use his real talents and not just you know do showy stuff on the screen and and um you know people people start to reveal who they really are and people start to be able to pursue their true gift and th- there's just a whole this whole theme where where like you sort of and again with the help of friends um you sort of discover again who you really are and what you really want to do and what you're really meant to do and and so that's just i, I think a really lovely thing that's that's in there it's it's not like hammered in your face but it, it's in there and it, it just helps make the movie special that is mm-hmm. so true listening to you describe it that way my mind is just <laughs> racing back through the film and even the opening scene you have a like a celebrity reporter asking don lockwood about his past and he's giving this yes. glowing rendition <laughs> of how he became an actor but you have these scenes that are showing mm-hmm. the reality of it that it's not matching what he's said happens like he was not in dancing school he did not go to the finest schools he did not come out to hollywood and you'll have these scenes showing what actually happened in his past to get him to where he is today so there's that artifice there and then the other thing that um i remember is when kathy and don meet initially she tells him something Mm -hmm. that's not true she says that she's a stage stage actress and a, a plot point is where they actually finally meet and she's actually a dancing girl. Um, and so you're absolutely right about this kind of stripping away of the artifice and getting and, and being seen and known for who yeah. you really are. And that the true partnerships and the best art comes from that kind of space of trust and uh, collaboration mm-hmm. with people who are your friends. And I love that kind of friendship mm-hmm. triangle of Dawn and Kathy and Cosmo. And I just have to say, I am a sucker for <laughs> yeah. the man. I yeah. love the second man and all of these movies. And I've always wondered what's wrong with me because I've never been like, have this emotional attachment to the lead character that's supposed to sweep you off your feet. But give me a Donald <laughs> O'Connor any day. You know, I loved, loved his, um, just his capacity in the character. Yeah, he, he's, he's got a very loyal following, just him, himself as an actor and also his character in that movie. Um, and and uh, he had, um, we, we said that this is probably uh, Gene Kelly's peak of his career, but this movie is also, was also the peak of Donald O'Connor's career too. He had done, he had done a lot of uh, movies, some B pictures and then some more, some more uh, maybe, a little bit more prominent movies, but he, he got a chance here to just like do everything. I mean, he, he, he never, I don't think before or since he ever had another number, like make him laugh. And they they just, they just sort of stood back and said, okay, you show us what you can do. You, you go out and do what you can do. And he did everything he could do. (laughs) And so he is very, very much loved, uh, Well, for all of his career, but I think for this movie in particular. Well, I loved this movie, and I would highly recommend listeners, if you have not seen it, you've got to go see it. And um, it would be so fun. I wish we could all be in a viewing together and watch this all at the same time. I think I would love to have Gina giving me all of the the little side 
info and and facts and figures about this movie as we go. It would just be so fun to hear more about it. But I think for today, I think we've covered all that we can cover in our in our time slot. Um, but we will be back um, with another episode next week. Gina, thank you so much for joining us for this one because you have really enriched the conversation. And I know um, you've given us so much more because you are like the singing in the rain expert here. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Yes, thank you. I really great. enjoyed it. Yeah, we so appreciate you being here. Now, all of you out there, if you haven't listened to the other episodes in the series, we have the intro episode with Alyssa Wilkinson. We have the episode where we discuss Casablanca. And then the last episode was on Mean Girls. And so we'll get all those linked up in the show notes so you can catch up if you haven't had a chance to to listen to those yet. And we would love to have all of you talking with us about this as well. So, Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. Today's question of the day is, what is your go-to happy movie? What is that movie that you watch or rewatch just because you need that space to find joy and happiness in the world? Maybe it's Singing in the Rain. Maybe it's another musical. Whatever it is, we want you to come on out to share that with us at twit on Twitter. Um, we're at Persuasion CAPC there. You can also find Gina on Twitter and Aaron and I as well. Um, if you are a member of Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, you can uh, find us in the threads there. And we want to know what movie makes you happy that you will just watch and re-watch over and over again because it is not predictable but faithful. Also, you can become a member of the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum for just $5 a month and join in a whole lot of other conversations there. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can go to iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast fix. While you're at iTunes, we would love your ratings and reviews. It's such a help so that more people can find us. We do appreciate you listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.